Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And you're on the record. Another installment of Behind the Scenes, what makes law, marketing, deal-making, all of the issues important today and in the future. And we start with what we normally do in our first segment, the opening drive, the top four weekly stories of the week. One to four, number one. Saudi Arabia launches a bid to host the 2034 World Cup. They submitted a letter of intent to FIFA declaring their interest. Uh, They confirmed that only countries from Asia and Oceania would be able to bid for the 2034 edition. That's from FIFA, the 2030 World Cup, to host six countries across three uh, continents. The bidding process has been fast-tracked by the World Soccer Governing Body countries having just four weeks to confirm their intention to launch a hosting bid for the event. And Saudi Arabia declared its interest swiftly, has now formally put themselves forward as a candidate. They announced their ambitions in the 2034 World Cup is the invitation to the world to witness Saudi Arabia's development, experience its culture, and be part of its history. Extremely committed to presenting the most competitive bid possible that will also help unite the world through football, they say. The entire Asian football family stands united in support of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's momentous initiative committed to working closely with the global football family to ensure its success, the statement said. Australia and New Zealand also thought to be considering a bid for 2034. Football Australia's chief executive James Johnson previously stating the body was exploring the possibility of hosting the competition, but it looks like a done deal with Saudi resources, oil money, and the desire to follow in Qatar's footsteps. That's number one. Number two, a whole host of issues relative to this week's ESPN TNT NHL openers. Connor Bedard's debut with the Blackhawks paid dividends for ESPN and TNT to start the season. Tuesday night's openers drew 1.43 million viewers for Bedard's NHL debut against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins, marking the network's bid for the best NHL regular season audience on record. Passes the previous mark of 1.36 million on cable net for the Maple Leafs-Penguins in 2000. Mario Lemieux's return game in the Blackhawks-Penguins also the best opening night ever on cable TV for the NHL, and up 92% from the 744,000 Lightning Rangers in the same window last year. The benefit of another opening game is a lead-in for the Predators' Lightning, and the Lightning Rangers in the same window last year only had a Sports Center lead-in. Both early primetime NHL opening games in 22-23, MLB playoff competition, but the Rangers-Orioles clincher on Fox well below Guardians-Yankees ALDS Game 1 last year. Third best regular season TNT audience, becoming an NHL partner TNT in 2021-2022. They're happy. It's the first season where streaming numbers from Max rolled into NHL TNT numbers. Blackhawks-Bruins up 46% 
from 629,000 viewers for Bruins Capitals in the same window last year. That's number two. How about number three? WNBA also significant ratings, by the way, the watched final, most watched final game in 20 years. Numbers are trending in at WNBA's favor. The first two games of 13% over the finals between the Aces and Connecticut Sun last year, 729,000 viewers. The average was 626,000 for game two on ESPN. The two-game average of 680,000, a bump the league hopes continues. Going into the finals, playoff viewership was averaging about 400,000, an 8% decline. But these two teams are off the charts. ESPN ABC has the entire postseason and the All-Star Game, while Scripps, Amazon, and CBS have some regular season Commissioner's Cup games. The league's going to receive about $33 million from ESPN ABC for the final season of 2025, but it could also see significant revenue growth beyond that. A new media rights deal with additional partners would obviously increase revenue. And then finally, speaking about money, number four, Roger Goodell. He's on track for an extension of $700 million total in career earnings, the highest paid executive in sports, clearly. The last closing on a three-year contract extension brings him about $700 million in career earnings. Months in development, the new deal expected to be discussed at next week's regularly scheduled meeting in New York. But even if it isn't finalized there, the extension is expected to keep him in place until 2027. He'll be 68. Held the post since 2006. His most recent annual salary, about $64 million. And using the NFL's tax filings as various reports the league gave its tech, since it gave up its tax-exempt status, he's already conservatively estimated to have earned about $500 million, and a three-year extension could easily add another $200 million to the pot. The sticking points of his contract have been completing the extension, but the normally reserved Goodell offers a more blunt assessment of the situation. Good news, I love the job, I love what I'm doing. Talked about an extension, we'll work toward that. That's not possible and great. I've been really fortunate to be in the job. You know he's got the extension in his pocket, and you know he's going to get it done. And by the way, for people who complain, the NFL record growth, Record revenues, record TV deals. CEOs, like it or not, get paid based on that kind of performance. And those are your four opening drive stories for the week. Joe Castiglione, one of the titans in the industry, started behind the mic as the radio voice of Colgate Baseball and Football. He'll tell you how quickly he moved on. And 25 years hired April that year. He's 22-team champions. National Athletic Director of the Year by Sports Business Journal in 2018. So many issues with Joe, including a GPA increase off the charts. The bottom line is, uh, whether it's NIL, transfer portal, conference realignment, Joe Castiglione, a leader in college sports, the VP of Intercollegiate Athletics, here he is now. Happy anniversary, 25 years at Oklahoma. You're, you, uh, July... 1998, you get the appointment. Did you ever think when you accepted from your AD at Missouri Post that you'd be in that same position, basically being a guide for college football for 25 years? Unbelievable. I was hoping for quite a uh, 
a long time, but I never would have imagined 25 years at one place. I think it's great. I guess it's probably one of those things you could hope for, but in the world of changing presidents and uh, coaches and conferences and everything, all college sports, it's hard to imagine being one place uh, for that long, but I'm so proud I am and grateful for the University of Oklahoma. How has the position of AD at Oklahoma evolved to be able to uh, have you uh, comfortably look at today and in the future? Coming to Oklahoma, we had our challenges back in 98 and the early part of the 2000s. Uh, we got things going in football perhaps a lot faster than some would have imagined. But Oklahoma has always been a leader, and that was what attracted me to the University of Oklahoma. We could work through the challenges that existed at the time that Oklahoma could get back to being at the forefront of college athletics. I mean, a lot of times that means uh, winning championships, and we've certainly done that very well. But also trying to be the, the right kind of voice, a proactive, forward-thinking uh type of university that helps work with colleagues and collaborate on the path forward. And we've always tried to do that. This last uh, few years have been probably the most difficult because we don't have um, a real blueprint for handling the disruption and the chaos we're facing. But that being said, we've never been one to sit around and worry about it, make excuses. You got to find a way to compete and compete successfully. And like a lot of people in the country, that's what we're trying to do. Are we talking about the medical pandemic of the nineteen of the twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, or the emotional, psychological, and economic pandemic you're faced with today, or both? How about this, Rick? It was the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it all happened yeah. at the same time, more or less, and uh, which may have made it even more difficult because uh, as things were changing, we were trying to. Uh, work through a variety of issues. And most of those meetings in those last uh, months leading up to such a, uh, a massive decision in the uh, summer of 2021, those most of those meetings were done on Zoom. And uh, while we're really lucky to have the technology like we have right at this moment to utilize the supplement, it's not an excuse, but wow, you know, these problems are massive. And probably best when uh, you have people's full attention when you're in the same room working through it uh, together. We're going to get into at the back of this, the diversity, the softball championships, all of the other amazing sports things you've done, including the endowment to the Brazil Library and eliminating admissions to the Museum of Art. All of those things that an athletic program can do for a university that a lot of others can't in a market that is an urban market. But I remember from the old Thunder days, it's not New York. Uh, and it created a lot of different challenges for you. Before we do that, though, how did you protect this brand? And yeah, I have it. I have one of these uh, in the middle of the whole SEC conversation. You know, you can tell the story, a distilled version of it, obviously. but but, you know, how do you take it from an idea to fruition in the, in the middle of, uh, of other traditions, maybe uh, uh, fighting in the other direction? Complicated uh, yeah. and hard to probably say in, in this interview. But I would tell you that 
you know, it starts with what's best for the University of Oklahoma and its long-term viability. That's what we're charged to do, to position our, our program and our university for success. Uh, it's complicated because, you know, we understand uh, the role we play and we understand contracts that we made and commitments wow. we made and rules that exist and you know trying to determine whether there's even an opportunity for us to do anything different but the world was changing really going back to 2010 when big 12 experienced its first uh episode with conference realignment nebraska and colorado leaving to go to the big 10 and pac 12 um, and then again, uh, a year and a half later, A&M and uh, Missouri leave to go to the SEC. And, you know, there's a lot of complications. Again, we don't have time to get into the details, but we were watching this and uh, trying to figure out where the long-term uh, stable play would be for the University of Oklahoma. And quite candidly, you know, we'd hoped it'd be in the Big 12. You know, we weren't unhappy with the Big 12 at all. We were part of putting this conference together. We uh, love the members that are in it, but uh, we saw the world changing in ways that we couldn't uh, fully control. And so we had to think about um, where we wanted to be uh, and what provided our university with the, the stability going forward. And um, this isn't a, an exercise to say that we predicted it all, but there's a lot of the lion's share of what's happened um, in the last couple of years uh, was something that uh, handedly we, we saw in the forecast. And uh, again, looking for stability and long-term uh, viability for our program and the requests that we were getting asked um, that uh, commitments that we were being asked to make that we really didn't know what we were committing to because there wasn't anything to commit to at that point and understanding what was you have to understand the entire ecosystem of how this was going to unfold uh, television right agreements that were up for renegotiation the timing uh, the uh, information we were getting back, you know, all of that fits into the uh, equation. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, again, we have to exercise what we're uh, tasked to do, and that's be strong leaders for the University of Oklahoma. You are one of the best three-dimensional chess players in history, but in the context of planning a move eight out and everybody else maybe six out, uh, I talked to some friends who are ADs and you know them all. And one of the things that they are really the most concerned about is a lot of these decisions that are being made now and in the, in the immediate future is uh, they're beyond the control. You, you, you can guess, but you can't control everything that's happening. Best interest of the university, get it. But the chessboard has so many other moves on it that it's very difficult. How do you, how do you wake up in the morning and change your or alter your basic business philosophy that you have everything neatly tied up long term. And now you're basically in control of less than you would have been years ago. So as usual, a great question from you, Rick. Uh, the 
you know, we all start with who it is that we're trying to be, who we want to do it with, and uh, what paths exist for us to make it possible. And so, you know, vision is one, and then having a strategy and, and trying to realize what might be inevitable. I know there are complex issues in matters surrounding any decision that uh, somebody might have to make. Through the last five or six, seven years, uh, one of the things that has uh, frustrated me is at times when we, as an enterprise, I don't mean we Oklahoma, but all of college athletics have had a chance to address certain things. We, uh, we really didn't. And uh, more like kick the can down the road type thing. And maybe there was a small move, but the small move didn't beget a bigger move. I'd get it if it was something we were uh, setting ourselves up to do and sort of doing it uh, sequentially or at least in small steps, but it was really defense and no offense. And, and I think that's, uh, I look back to a lot of different things when we had a chance to step up and do something to address some of the things we knew were going to be inevitable. And if we didn't think they were inevitable, then we had heads in our sand. And so um, all of that figures into uh, why some people act out of fear. You know, I think more importantly, strong, strong entities should act out of positions of strength. Not that they know everything, not that they can control everything, but they need to address those that are within the control and have, you know, the upper hand. We're talking, you know, we're talking a, uh, you know, historical element of our society. College athletics has been phenomenal for the United States of America for way over a hundred years. It's never been perfect. Uh, it's never been without challenge or criticism. But when you think about all the things that it does and go beyond the into entertainment, think about how many first generation students get a chance to go to college and, and pursue a degree where they would never have one had that chance previously. Think about the opportunities it gives them to travel. Think about the um, experiences it gets, gives them to prepare for life that go beyond the degree. And then for the percentage of the student athletes that um, get to go on to pro sports or go into Olympics or some other way of competing beyond their collegiate eligibility, that's great. But most importantly, they've had the life skills, hopefully, that they've acquired while they're on campus. That's that's the essence of what college does. I realize it's become a big business and you have to think in a big business way to a certain extent, but college athletics can still be something so special that it provides the, the um, citizens of the United States of America and, and those that come to this country to participate in college athletics as well as that you couldn't get anywhere else. And I, I think that's uh, something worth fighting for. First, a few years ago, we like to forget there was COVID and a world-class pandemic. Then we were dominated by the playoff. Are we going to have 12 teams, 140 teams, four teams? Then after that, you have a uh, conference musical chairs today. 
Well, the year before, you have NAL in the transfer portal, which sucked up space. Now we've got the conference musical chairs. Then we've got gambling and some of those issues that everybody got to focus on. What is what is the next big challenge after this one? <laughs> I mean, it's not as if we're through this one, but what's the next one? You forgot one thing, Rick. Oh, uh, which one? Uh, college athletics did something few can do in Washington, D.C. We unified the Supreme Court around one issue. Oh, yeah, you did. No, that's not necessarily the right, the right no, way. But, you are yeah. the only, probably one of the only large institutions in the country that everybody can agree on. That's not necessarily the way we would have liked <laughs> it to be, but it happened that yeah. way. Um, yeah. So, look, the problems we have right now, challenges um, are they're they're daunting. There's never been a time in in college athletics like we are experiencing at the moment. You know, we have, um, you know, a situation where we're trying to, uh, you know, continue to provide you know, the experiences, fund experiences, and yet we're, uh, you know, we, we certainly, you know, realize what's pulling at us. And, and one of the key elements is how we're going to uh, manage the, the, the financial elements of our enterprise going forward. And, what does that mean for the athletes that are competing? Uh, most notably, the athletes that are generating the largest amount of revenue. And uh, we're having to do that during a time where there's uh, very little regulation, if any at all. It's, uh, yeah. it's been, yeah. it's been uh, referred to as you know professional sports uh, without a salary cap. And uh, you can move wherever you want. Um, you know, the NIL and the collectives have had their way. Uh, we don't really have our arms around that. You know, I think, as most people know, you know, there's been lots of uh, strategic efforts to, you know, try to create some level of control and meeting, um, you know, requesting some help from our, our leaders in Washington, D.C., it's hard to say whether that's going to be successful or not, but um, and we have some lawsuits that we're uh, having to uh, deal with that are um, are pretty challenging. And so, all this going together at a time when we're trying to navigate the right path forward. I believe that um, in some form or fashion, we're going to be uh, sharing. I don't know if people like that word, but sharing more of the, um, you know, the financial revenue that sports generate with our athletes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that it has to be an employer employee type of model, but we could find something that is, uh, you know, maybe more palatable to the, the, uh, the general group. Um, very tough. You know, we have to, uh, figure out a way to do this without um, violating any antitrust laws. Um, so it, it's challenging. But one thing I've always believed is that we have the best thought leaders in our enterprise and getting the right ones to the table that can form a new playbook, not keep using the old one, um, and involve the athletes to, as much as we can in creating a future because it's their future that we're trying to chart and uh 
the, the ones that are with us now are the ones that uh, are fifth, sixth, or seventh grade at the moment, but won't won't be long before they're headed you know, to college. So we've got to get our arms around it. Not easy at all. If it was, we would have had a solution already. But um, the, our our um, our entire enterprise depend, depends on it, and I think that the time is now for us to you know continue formulate these really forward thinking uh, concepts that we can address it. And the answer is all three are important to you, obviously. So two more quick questions, and you can't answer either. So, but I'm going to throw them out there. Number one, where is the business of college football five years from now? It's still going. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's as good as it gets, yeah. So uh, I think it's uh, – I think we will have figured out a revenue share model. I think we will have right-sized our programs. Uh, I think that um, our athletes will feel good about their experience. And um, if we do this carefully, we can continue to – have the same size programs that we have right now. Um, that'll be part of the challenge uh, because there are a lot of outside forces that are pulling at us that could could really negatively impact that. Um, but uh, this it's this um, this enterprise isn't bulletproof, but it is at its core a very vital thing for um, our country, and I I think. The end of the day, we will find the right path forward to give it strength to to be successful in the in the years to come. What is Joe Castiglione going to do for the next sixty five years? Defy <laughs> <laughs> logic, that's for sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, um, look, I'm I'm going to keep my focus uh, on make making sure that um, for the time that I'm still. Uh, leading this department that we put Oklahoma in a position that its trajectory is upward, um, that we continue to do it with the core values that we've always applied to our our business, and um, that it continues to, to be fun because working with people, while it can be very challenging, it's still the part of the job that um, we all call our why. And uh, why we do this is because you know, we can play a small role in the future of, of our young people's lives. And uh, that's what keeps us coming back. And after that, Rick, you know, then I'm probably going to be, I think maybe I would be having a, um, you know, a role like you where I'm, call, I'm calling friends up and interviewing them and talking to them about the business of college athletics. No, I got that role. You got to find another role. You do what you want, but you're not interfering with me. I will tell you this. In all the stuff that I do, it is most fun to return to Joe, to Oklahoma City, to all of the folks who are really, really good friends there. And I love what you do for college sports. And I am honored to have you be one of my friends. Thank you very much, Joe. Really appreciate this. Well, likewise, man. Always enjoy being part of uh, anything you're doing. It's it's a lot of fun. And I, I do learn something from you every time. So hopefully man. that happens once in a while from uh, me to yeah. you. Fool them yet again, ladies and gentlemen. Our segment that we're calling The Grab Bag, a whole bunch of issues that impact the business in a number of ways. Top tech, top gambling, and top philanthropy. Let's start with our top tech issues of the week, and there are three. Microsoft puts Video Game World on notice. 
a $70 billion activation of Blizzard. Finally in the clear to close after the purchase had been announced and approved, the big tech leader first put its bid in to acquire Activision. In 2022, the biggest hurdle being UK regulators. And after UK regulators approved the revised deal, Microsoft and Activision shared the news before the ink dried on the contract. The revised acquisition includes giving the rival Ubisoft purchasing control of streaming rights to Activision's current and future console and PC games. The deal brings gaming franchises like Call of Duty, Overwatch, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Halo, and Candy Crush Saga under Microsoft Roop. What a diverse set of games. Very well be maybe the biggest merger in the gaming industry's history and for sure the biggest deal Microsoft has pulled off. If I were Sony and PlayStation, I'd be gearing up for war. Microsoft and Xbox are primed to take over the gaming space for some time. Second issue involves a Virginia Tech lineman. He became the first player to wear SAFR helmet covers in the game. Two offensive linemen wore scientifically advanced force reduction pro tech football helmet covers in their recent game against Pitt. First time multiple division players have done so. Study released by the Virginia Tech Helmet Lab in January showed evidence of reducing concussion risk by as much as 77%. Virginia Tech ordered 110 of these polyurethane foam attachments for the 2023 season earlier this year, but they only used them in practice. Caden Moore and Parker Clements, the Hokies starting center and tackle respectively, were the two players to don the helmet covers for VT. Last season, USFL players began wearing the helmet covers during practices. ProTech has also been approved for gameplay by the National Federation of State High School Association, used by programs in D1, D2, D3, and high school levels. And then third, Teach Me lands a $2 million Connect contract to beginner athletes with local coaches. Sports coaching platform for beginners secured $2 million in seed money, the company exclusively told TechCrunch. The funding will be used to scale the platform, launch a new app for students, and expand beyond its sports offerings. The startup was founded in 2021 by CEO Nick O'Brien and Chairman Tyler Maloney with the goal of facilitating the booking process so more consumers can start a hobby or learn a new sport. Learning something new can be intimidating. That's why most of us don't start, O'Brien told TechCrunch. Teach Me exists to make it exponentially easier to try out a new skill or sport. The expertise in pickleball, tennis, golf, surfing, and boxing. The classes are tailored to each student and their goals, O'Brien explained. Teach Me also performs complimentary insurance and money-back guarantee. The platform says it facilitates more than 100 lessons a day. And Teach Me also aims to help instructors build their client portfolios or break into teaching entirely. For instance, a former D1 tennis player can apply for Teach Me to make money coaching kids and beginners. And only 10% of applicants are accepted. Notably, Teach Me offers free filming sessions for all coaches to have a Vedim video so aspiring students can learn about their experience, qualifications, philosophies, and reasons for coaching. Starting your own coaching business costs upward of ten grand, and many coaches never break through and succeed, said O'Brien. What's great about Teach Me is we reduce the cost to zero. 
We handle all the business aspects. So all our coaches have to do is show up and teach. When a coach first signs up on Teach Me, the platform charges a one-time matchmaking fee based on demand and location. They take 20% commission, and top instructors on the platform are currently earning about $5,000 per month. By the end of 2023, the first full year of operation, anticipated the coaches will take home over $2 million total, O'Brien said. The company's five-year plan involves adding more from Common Metal and Alumni Ventures, as well as angel investors, including OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, Vivek Patel, former CPO of Yelp, Brent Turner, president of Rover, and Ben Lauzier, former VP of product and growth for Thumbtack. Shortly after its founding, the company raised about five hundred grand in angel funding. The recent tech round brings the total to about $2.5 million. Good opportunities in the tech space. Let's now talk about gaming. And this is another issue that's not directly the bet gambling kind of stuff, but it's esports. And we've always said esports may break through as an Olympic sport. Well, the IOC announced plans to create an Olympic esports games process at the opening of the 141st IOC session in Mumbai. The International Olympic Committee is exploring plans for the creation of Olympic esports games. The groundbreaking announcement made by Thomas Bach during the opening ceremony of the 141st session taking place in Mumbai, India. The presence of the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi included this opportunity to speak. The IOC president noted there are over 3 billion people playing esports and gaming around the world. Estimated that over 500 million of them are interested specifically in esports, which includes virtual sports and sports simulations, Thomas Bach said. It's even more relevant to us. A majority of them are under the age of 34, the IOC president said. He's asked the new IOC Esports Commission to study the creation of Olympic esports games. They've been engaging in esports since 2018 with a creation of a holistic process. They chose an approach that would allow them to be active in the esports space while staying true to their values that have guided them for over a century. And with respect to esports, the values remain, as he said, a red line that they would not cross. Our crystal clear position is that gaining more and more respect in the esports community is very important. And one of the leading publishers even adopted their popular game to fully conform to the Olympic values so that players shot at targets, not at people, the president emphasized. The first engagement of the IOC with the esports community was at the organization of an esports forum in 2018 in Lausanne, followed by the setup of an esports liaison group to have a platform to engage with all esports stakeholders. And in 2021, the IOC developed the Olympic Virtual Series. It was the IOC's first pilot venture in esports, President Bach explained. Building on the learnings from this Olympic Virtual Series, we then launched the Olympic Esports Week in Singapore earlier this year, says Bach. They saw proof of the holistic approach, that it works, and they successfully brought together the Olympic and esports communities. The highlight of the Olympic Esports Week, the thrilling live finals created in collaboration with the International Sports Federations and publishers. And over 130 players from across the globe came together 
to compete in the Olympic spirit on the global stage. And in fact, 10 mixed gender category events. Players were cheered on by a full house of fans in Singapore with all the action streamed online. And including the qualifiers, the Olympic eSports series attracted over 500,000 unique participants. The Olympic eSports series generated more than 6 million views of live action over all channels, 75% of the views from people aged 13 to 34. He's very, Thomas Bach, committed to this mandate. Don't be surprised to see this as a bona fide Olympic event very soon. That's your gaming grab bag. And then finally, let's talk about good sports. A couple of major issues this week. One involves Caitlin Clark. She breaks, along with her teammates, the Iowa women's college basketball attendance record at Kinnick Stadium. The Hawkeyes broke the record during a preseason exhibition game against DePaul. The announced attendance, 55,646 fans. They showed up to witness the action. Previous record was 29,619 in the 212 202 national title game between UConn and Oklahoma. Nowhere in the country could this have happened except University of Iowa, Coach Lisa Bluter told the Kennecke crowd. All of you are part of history tonight, and thank you. The Iowa football team, ranked 24th and beat Wisconsin on the road the night before, typically waves at the university's Stead Family Christian Hospital next door after the first quarter. Bluter decided to keep the tradition going with her team, hoping to put some smiles on the young patients' faces. And in fact, the exhibition game called Crossover at the Kinnick raised 250000 for the hospital and delivered the giant check on Sunday. Clark, who's entering her senior year with the Hawkeyes, recorded a triple-double with a game high of 34 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. The reigning Nate Smith Player of the Year was one of the top scorers in the nation last season, with an average of 27.8 points per game, registered 11 triple-doubles throughout her college career, and she helped Iowa reach her first-ever national title game in April. The Hawkeyes fell short of the trophy as they fell to a tough LSU team, but they'll be considered one of the favorites this upcoming season. Surely they will. And she broke multiple team records this past season and has been a key part of the excitement building around the program. This season, the Hawkeyes will be playing every home game in front of a full arena. The tickets for the 2023-24 campaign have already sold out. Caitlin Clark has brought Iowa hoops and women's basketball all together for incredible new heights on and off the court. And then the final philanthropic issue this week, a big one. Recent gambling cases have NCA stepping up e-learning for student-athletes. It's good sports and gambling at the same time. They're doubling down on their fight against sports wagering controversies. The swath of high-profile gambling cases at Iowa, Iowa State, and Alabama over the last year, college sports governing body rolling out a new sports wagering e-learning module that will be integrated into the education provided to upcoming student-athletes via their NCA eligibility center accounts. And in fact, with uh, availability, a 15-minute educational tool that covers integrity in the sport, problem 
gambling and how to deal with social media harassment that can be related to gambling. The training program also includes narrations from Colts linebacker Zaire Franklin, former Central Michigan basketball player Michaela Hall, and former University of Sioux Falls football player Joshua Butler. And the idea is to provide guidelines and sanctions for sports gambling that are geared toward education and treatment when cases don't involve compromising the integrity of competition. The template is available for everybody. The concept is long overdue, and the development falls in line with recent NCAA work to address the sports wagering issues. Just last week, the council announced it's re-examining the legislation for reinstatement guidelines, which will, of course, impact all student-athletes. Bottom line, this is really important. Well, there's your top tech, gambling, and philanthropy issues for the week. Well, this week, we look ahead to three big issues over the next couple of weeks. Three to watch. Number one. League One aims to bring meaningful soccer games to the U.S. as part of a pitch for a new media rights deal in the country. The LFP's commercial arm recently launched the project, the Trophy D Champions. Interested broadcasters and agencies can bid on global, regional, or country-specific rights between three to five seasons for 24, 25, and beyond the LFP would lean on the popularity of stars such as Kylian Mbappe to promote the competition's values of diversity and social engagement to a U.S. audience. The diversity and multiculturalism defines French football and makes it very genuine. Might not be the biggest league, but want to be the coolest and most enshrined with today's youth culture. And the soccer is pretty darn good. And also, we're heading toward the Olympic Games And that's not going to hurt the bidding as well. So that's number one to look at. Number two, the UFC and USADA split in an ugly breakup stemming from the McGregor situation. Common misconception, the USADA, some form of government agency. It's a private company with annual revenue of $20 And losing the NFC, one of its biggest clients, will lead to an unsurprisingly bitter reaction. But when you think about it, that's a big issue. And then finally, number three, the Chiefs, a million dollars into the Germany game against the Dolphins on November 5, a championship to dock in Frankfurt with Chief fans, a significant organizational international business sponsorship as well. President Mark Donovan using it to focus on Germany, Austria, and all rights. And obviously, with the Chiefs as big as they are, look for that game to be big, not only because it's the Dolphins, but even bigger because they're spending all of this money and looking at making the domination of Germany and Austria one of the Chiefs' desires. That's your three issues to watch for next week. And join us next week when we continue to be on the record.